0: From the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast.
1: Oh, my ears are ringing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm Shell.
1: And I'm Mark. <laughs> I just had a bit of a cold coming back from England, you know. But honestly, my name's Nick. Hey, Nick. How's it going?
2: Good, thanks. So Nick's going to be uh, sitting in for Mark while we, uh, inter- or in- we interact with Jesse Collingsworth. Is that right, Jesse? Did I say your name right? Yes. Awesome. And you sound real great, too. So Jesse Collingsworth is with uh, Idaho Homes. Are you, I presume you're in Idaho? Correct. Okay. Tiny, tiny Idaho homes. <laughs> awesome. Tiny Idaho homes. And, um, Jesse came up by way of Michelle who had met Jesse at the tiny house
0: conference. conference yeah. Jesse and I, yeah, we, yeah. we met and, and I got to see one of his houses he had on display there and it was beautiful and awesome. So I reached out to him and, and, uh, wanted to have
2: a chat awesome and Jesse you um, I checked out your website to the degree that I could on the terrible bandwidth we had like 20 minutes ago and um, <laughs> looks like you do a number of really impressive homes so why don't we start with um, you giving a little commercial plug for what you do and then I'm going to ask how you got into this how you got into this mess
3: a okay. <laughs> uh, uh, little commercial plug uh, well, at Tiny Idaho Homes, we, uh, we are an RVIA-certified RV manufacturer that builds uh, custom tiny houses to the customer specs. Uh, we do anything from 18-foot gypsy wagons to 40-foot uh, gooseneck fifth wheels with slide-outs. So uh, anything the customer can dream up, we uh, we try to build for them. So,
2: yeah. Awesome. And um, what what's your... Uh general price range for these things that you make?
3: Um, our average price range, uh, most common, is right around 40000 They could go upwards, you know, all the way up to $100,000 plus.
2: Awesome. All right, and we'll...
0: Um, I, think what's, I think that's really unique. I think what you do there is very unique. I don't know of any other builder that really builds with that much flexibility. So... No doubt, your best stories sort of lie in your in your experiences with customers. Can you tell us a little bit about your favorite customers, your favorite builds?
3: Well, every every customer is unique, uh, you know, in their own way. Um, and every customer in the tiny house world uh, seems to have their own story. Uh, so, uh, reasons why why they're doing it, uh, reasons why the. They want to travel with it or downsize, minimize. Um, So like I said, every store is unique. So the best part of my job is working with my customers, uh, building what they want from start to finish and and, uh, down to the paint colors. So that, you know, the customer itself is the best part of my job uh i I can't necessarily pick one certain customer that i like because they're all great to work
2: with so is that is that just a pr message or is that the truth because we were talking with a couple people couple other builders (laughs) and they were talking about what a pain in the ass their customers were because they especially because they wanted to get involved in every decision all the way down to the paint and if it wasn't the right color red then the builder was going to have a hard time with that customer
0: so wait well, a minute, though. I mean, they doesn't have to tell names or no, houses it have to tell or, names or and houses. dates
2: or anything yeah. like that. So, <laughs> okay. well,
3: it, it is honestly, in general, a, a very true statement. Uh, <laughs> <but> it, <laughs> dealing with the customers is the best. Obviously, during the build, it, it it's a little more stressful. But at the end of the day, when the customer sees the final project, uh, that is the best part. Um, you know, because most of the time, it brings
2: tears to their eyes. So. Um, and joy to your heart at receiving that check I'm (laughs) sure yeah uh,
3: you know uh, obviously just like any builder it it is changes happen during the way and as long as you go into it knowing that um, you know it's a lot easier on the job but you know when a customer goes and picks out a paint sample at a store and you paint it they saw it firsthand. so if they don't
2: like it they're paying you to change it. Uh, that's bottom line, really. <laughs> right, right. Some of the builders we talked about, um, actually it was one of the builders we talked up with earlier, uh, referred to the somewhat loose nature of relationship between the customer and the builder, and, and that has caused problems in the past. Sounds like you have a much more rigorous process with regard to contracting and, and the types of commitments that you make, making sure they're on paper. Is that true?
3: Um, yes, that's true. I mean, we've been in this for quite a while compared to some builders out there. So we, we've learned lessons the hard way too when it comes to contracts and everything else. Mm -hmm. And we've had a couple of deals go south after we're halfway through the deal or almost finished for that matter. But, uh, so yeah, you know, contracts are very important with, with that, that said, and then, uh, you know, it, you learn, you learn and live from, from experiences.
2: So tell um, us some of those experiences.
3: You know, um, we were building one for a gal, and and uh, at that time she was married, and, and life happens. They were going to live in this thing and travel with it, and but uh, life happens, and next thing you know, uh, they call us up, or she calls us up, and uh, crying her eyes out because her husband was leaving her. Uh, so... You know what do we do we try to make the best of it and and work with her and and sell the product that she had custom built which custom builds are very hard to sell you know' mm. uh, cause they build it just for themselves not for everybody but uh you know we we made made it happen and and sold the product and in the day she unfortunately didn't get a tiny house but uh you know she she didn't have a big well, a big payment on a tiny house sitting in her driveway she couldn't use. So um,
1: that's just one example of things that happen along the way. Life, life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. But Jesse, I wanted to ask, I'm, I'm still new to this whole tiny house world. Um, I'm just not too sure if I get it. Why do people want tiny houses? Why do they come to you? Why, why a tiny house? Why don't they get a, a bungalow or some other kind of duplex or something? What's the biggest attraction that you found? Why do customers well, want tiny houses? And I can tell you one of the main questions, you know, I have certain
3: questions we ask people right up front. Um, one of the main questions is what's, what's your intent? What, what's the purpose of you getting a tiny house? Um, because uh, we, we build houses that are mobile. We're RVIA certified and our, our units are intended to go down the road wow. where some builders are not. Um, so if someone tells me that they are going to, they want to build a tiny house just to park on property and never move. And the only reason it's going to be on wheels is so they can get around building codes. I'm going to send them to someone else cause they're not my customer. I see. Um, yeah. You know, unfortunately, I mean, I, 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 deal with that too. Cause we walk a very fine line with RVIA and HUD and everything else that we have to be very aware of, of what's happening. Um, because, you know, well, if, if the government had their way, they would shut this down right now. Well, there are certain, ones, certain people and builders out here really trying to push that forward, me being one of them, you know, in the northwest here, um, working with authorities and, and building officials and, and all of that. So, um, the, to me, you know, tiny houses started out as a recreational weekend use thing. Um, I see, yeah. And, Still is, but to many people, it is it is their way of living. You know, uh, most of my customers travel around for work. Um, number one customer being the military; uh, they they get stationed places, and and the government pays to move their RVs. So wow. why pack up your house when when
1: you can just move your whole house? Wow. Uh, you get to change out your backyard as well. That's the best thing, huh? Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, <laughs> but there's
3: there's I've heard many. Many reasons from many different people, and every one of them, when they tell them to me, makes sense. Um, every one of my customers, you know. To the person that didn't have a retirement, but they had a house in California, so they sold their house, uh, put it the money in the bank for their retirement, and they bought a forty, fifty dollars 50000 tiny house and got an RV spot on the beach in California. So wow. now they can retire. Um, so every reason is unique and, and everyone makes sense okay
2: so so the the um, I would assume I would presume based on what the number of people we've interviewed that these these tiny houses for the most part are being built on wheels to get around the code and that many of them are not fit to drive around with and and those who do we've heard are idiots for doing so because um, they're just not made for that what what is what's different I know you're our, our Riva certified, but what does that mean in terms of the difference between yours and others, which allows yours to be driven around like an RV?
3: Well, let me uh, let me start with the trailer. You know, most people go buy a trailer, say um, from a trailer manufacturer. I'm not going to throw any names out there, but they go by a trailer from a flatbed trailer. It is, and that's what it says on their title is it's a flatbed trailer designed to haul a car or something. Uh, they, and then they take it home and they build on top of it, uh, which is all great. I mean, I, 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 support the do it yourself for all day long. Cause I know a lot of them, but, uh, that trailer was never intended or designed for that load rating that that uh, tongue weight anything on it um, mm-hmm. so we at tiny Idaho homes i design my trailers and build my trailers designed for the floor plan so i can move my axles forward or back depending on how much tongue weight you know I, it's a rough calculation but i still have to calculate that out um, in, in a perfect world on a on a tongue pull trailer you want to tend 10 to 12 percent tongue load so uh you know it makes a big difference when you're towing it down the road aerodynamics another big thing um not Mm. that all mine are aerodynamic but uh it's kind of hard to
0: to make a house aerodynamic
3: yeah we try to make it the best we can so there there is certain things there you know that that people do not look at um and what? the biggest one being it has to stay eight foot six and under to be legal in all fifty states for anybody to pull. Eight foot uh, six and under in terms of width or height or what? In width. Okay. Uh, eight foot six max width, and that is a permanently attached fixture on there. So, an awning, you know, if you have an electric awning on there, that doesn't count to the owner. You know, it doesn't add width, uh, and that can stick past that that measurement. But um, there's just so many rules and codes that. I mean, I got books and books that I have to buy by and, and highway department inspections and everything else. So uh, when when the do-it-yourselfer builds it, they don't have those same inspections. So they could be pulling down the road and it not be adhered to the trailer correctly, and next thing you know, big accident happens, the house falls off or something to that matter. And, and you know, I've seen where tons of... Busted the welds and the trailers fell to the ground. Uh, many
2: many problems. Wow. So so the, the that's interesting about the 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 trailer and the framework that you would this house would ride upon. I was thinking also, what about the the interiors? So I'd imagine some of these tiny houses when they're driving down the road over potholes and stuff, that some of the fixtures might fall off, or the paintings fall off the wall, or stairs crack, or something like that, or or even just like cabinetry gets weak, or or flimsy or something like that is are, are yours first of all is that accurate and then secondly are yours different built differently to withstand that that kind of shake rattle and roll
3: well uh i mean the thing to remember and most people forget this very quickly that it still is an rv um anything could shift and move during during travel i mean if you don't tie something down inside of your your camper trailer it you leave a something on top of the table it's going to slide off it's just a given um but you know there is certain things pictures mirrors mirrors have to be safety glass affixed to the wall certain ways oh. things like that 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 uh, um we do make sure is correct in our units um along with many other codes like i said it if if everybody else knew what what we had to abide by then, then we wouldn't be in this problem nationwide. And that's the hard part is trying to teach people the correct way.
2: What, what problem, what problem
3: nationwide? Well, um, did now, now we're going to kind of switch to the other side that, okay. the, the stuff holding us back. Um, uh, I can tell you example here, um, on our local, uh, tiny house meetup group. Um, um, uh, I, Gave the number to the gal in the meetup group to contact the local building official to come speak at our next event because um, codes and, and regulations are getting out of hand, so to say, with the tiny house movement that they're not getting uh, followed uh, close enough to where it is making it harder on the people that want to um, live and use a tiny house. Uh, so. When we're trying to push this movement forward, we all need to try to be on the same page and understand why these rules and regulations are in place, and not just say, "Well, screw the government; they're just making it hard, and they don't want to want us to be able to do this," um, which which is truly false, in my opinion. You know, they just got to make sure everybody's safe, right? Uh, and that's that's their main goal. Uh, and I I can tell you from my experience, tiny houses. They're nothing new. They've been around for a long time. And I can tell, go talk to anybody's grandma or or great-grandma or stuff and see, they lived in a very small house. Kids shared bedrooms. Um, So this concept isn't new. Uh, Composting toilets, nothing new. This is all, I mean, how did outhouses work, you know? Uh, It's all the same stuff. I don't know that we've had outhouses on wheels before. (laughs) Correct, but um, you know the biggest regulation since we're kind of talking about it a little bit, jumping all over the place. But the <laughs> biggest regulation is the health department's the biggest the biggest regulation. And this composting toilet thing is one of the biggest setbacks. Nowhere in the U.S. is it legal to dump your stuff on the ground.
0: (laughs) It's okay. You can say the other word. You can say the other word if you want to.
3: (laughs) You know, the solid waste is is not the problem. It's the liquids. So um, people don't understand. Our sewer septic systems have been around for a long, long time. So. When people call me up and say I want a hundred percent off the grid tiny house, of course I need. I want to sell a product, but I also say there's no such thing anymore. Um, sure, you might be able to get away with it for a while, but that health department's going to come out and slap up your hand big time because you're dumping stuff on the ground.
0: Yeah, not a legal one. Not a legal off grid Co- tiny house.
3: Correct. At some you have to at least be tied into some kind of sewer system, so, um, or or you're
2: packing your stuff. So, a so le- to dump it. So illegal. Um, <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. So a le- <laughs> so a legal off grid tiny house deals with the poop and pee how.
3: Well, they're they're hauling it to a dump station. That's but to me, that's not off the grid because you're still dumping it on grid somewhere. Exactly. Uh, so there's. N- in my mind, there's no such thing as completely off the grid nowadays. Um, I And I can tell you, I have a friend that lives, what we I would say off the grid is, uh, up in the mountains, no power, uh, none of that stuff, no phone, but he still has a septic system. Oh, really? So, um, because it doesn't require power, it doesn't require water to have a septic system, you still need some place to put that waste. Um, so... You know, conclusion being that the health department is our biggest, they're the ones saying people are not abiding by this. They're dumping their waste in the yard or someplace, and it's not legal. It, and that's, that's you know, what we're trying to teach people here locally and hopefully every place else is starting to teach this too. When I say everybody, I'm saying builders stepping in to help push this movement in the right direction. Uh they need to inform people about these regulations that they have, need to abide
1: by. Um, I don't say have to because they can go get a ticket and get in trouble, but <laughs> it's not helping the movement by any means. Right, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm trying to figure out some things as well. With the, what's the RVIA? What does that mean? Is that an organization? What, is, what does that stand for? That's the
3: Recreational Vehicle Industrial Association. Industry association. Okay. Uh, and they set so the standards, or what, what's their role? It is an organization. It is not a requirement. It is an organization that some of us decided to be members of. So they come out and inspect and certify our units to say we build to a certain code and we meet a, a standard. Um, what what it does is it's it's up to an RV park, estate, somebody to say we want to use that as our requirement. Ah, yeah. Uh, yes. So it's not. I wouldn't say it's a requirement because it's not. You don't have to use that, but it's just a standard that some people. If if I owned an RV park, I would say I require it. Why? Because I get cheaper insurance if every unit's RVIA certified that parks in my my RV park. So yes. all right. Um, there's benefits to it, and obviously there's disadvantages because it's not a cheap, cheap organization, um, and we still have to build to a code. So, unfortunately, if people come to me and they want a wood burning fireplace in their, their tiny house RV, I can I'm like flat out tell them I can't do it.
1: Well, what is the craziest so, ask that you've had like, uh, request for for a fixture or I mean, like a home? Like, can you have like three story ones? Can you have like, you know, what's the craziest request you've had?
3: <laughs> the crazy requests is the ones i like <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. i i love to push the limits uh so to me there's nothing crazy obviously i can only go 14 foot tall max in the western states uh 13, 6 when i start going east coast okay. um but, but uh so i can't build a three-story unit um But I would love to try a pop-up unit, but no one wants to front the money for that. So if you know someone's on board, send them my way. But uh, uh, slide-outs, I've done them. Uh, I'm working on a unit now that drops to the ground, handicap accessible unit. Uh, Oh, wow. I got a gypsy wagon I'm building that has a rain harvest system in it and a living wall inside and a sauna. Wow.
2: Beautiful.
3: uh, well, like I said, there's no such thing as a crazy request. <laughs> All right.
2: How do how – how uh, I've got a couple of questions, but first I want to go back to the – I know I'm going to bore my host, co-host here, but I want to go back to the regulations and ask you kind of a sticky question. And okay. I, don't, I don't mean to piss you off. Nope. Go right ahead. Okay. How much about what you're saying about the health department is a marketing message aligned to your company because you have decided to become a member of Riva. In other words, are you, are you trying to a- alarm the tiny house movement to only go to people who are aligned with the REVA organization, or is this legitimately a health department issue, or is the health department really looking at tiny house people and saying, hey, we're going to shut this thing down because poop and pee is, are going all over the place?
3: Um, and I, I will start by saying the health department has nothing to do with RVIA. Um, so that being said, it has nothing to do with me being a member of RVIA. Okay. I could, I, that membership doesn't matter one way or another there, because even if I wasn't a member, if tiny houses get shut down in the nation, my business goes belly up regardless. So obviously I want to see the movement go forward because I'm in that business. Right. Um, that that's for sure so am i helping promote my business well always because it's a business that's what i do right but i'm also in it to make sure tiny house movement always progresses forward because like i said if say tomorrow obama comes in and says i'm gonna make a law that says tiny houses you know (laughs) or you can't you can't do them (laughs) I, my doors are shut. So yeah, I want this movement to stay positive and stay in a forward movement. Um, so even with the do it yourselfers, and you can ask local people here cause I do go to the meetings and I, I, answer lots of questions and I get people involved with that stuff that, uh, you know, it's important that we try to teach the people that aren't getting the correct information, the correct way to do it. Um, I, I can tell you example-wise, because uh, I've been trying to help push this thing forward, I was asked to teach the inspectors here locally, all the building officials locally, because they were trying to put them all in a park model category, which is not a good situation. Um, so I went and taught the class the difference of park models in RVs, uh, which is already on paper somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so... I definitely do not want them all to be park models. Nor do does the general public, because in Idaho, building a park model is no different than building a house. Uh, you got to get permits. You got to get paid fees. Uh, submit drawings. All the same same stuff you do as building a house. So why build it on wheels unless you're going to move? Um, but then again, it's not a park model. It's an RV. So it's very important f- to make sure I help inform people of the the rights and wrongs also um it's and rbia the building of local building officials everybody else says it's not it's not if it's when it's not if someone dies in one of these it's when it's going to happen and it will happen it's no different than a regular house or an rv and accidents accidents are going to happen so uh it's just trying to prevent them and minimize them is is the correct way to go about it.
0: So, Jesse, as you know, I'm a DIY builder. Um, I built my own tiny house. And I have to say that I didn't go the Riva certified route because that would have involved actually hiring someone else to build it for me. But I can yeah. tell you that I took a lot of the Riva, a lot of the Riva regulations into account. And just for our listeners' perspective, one of the things, just a really, really small part of the Riva code, and that is um, egress. So both of my lofts, for instance, just one point, both of my lofts actually have windows that are not only open but they're actually, they're actually large enough to be able to escape out of your loft. So if your house is on fire, that's sort of a safety rule that I thought made a ton of sense, not just for, again, escaping a fire, but for ventilation and all kinds of other amazing reasons. So I just wanted to let everybody know that just, you know, that REVA um, is an organization that promotes safety and standardization. Um, you know, all of them, of course, have the same codes that, um, time, that regular houses do, like smoke detectors and you know, carbon monoxide detectors and you know, those types of things, and fire blocks in your walls and, and the whole nine yards. So, however, um, I'm getting to a question, I promise. <laughs> I promise I'll get there eventually. But Jesse, I would like to sort of take a step back. I'm going to challenge your notion that, that tiny houses off-grid are illegal, and I'm going to challenge your notion just because of the fact that I want to, I want to tell our listeners, tiny houses really um, run in several different categories. First of all, like you said, there's the ones that kind of want to go down the road and they're going to envision going down the road a lot, and then there's the ones that are not. But more importantly, from a health department and waste disposal perspective, okay, you have urban environments, you have suburban environments, and you also have some rural environments. There are also um, accommodations for composting of solid waste and there are rules and regulations and um, some very, very good methods of composting and disposing of solid waste. And there's also some approved, pre-approved gray water disposal systems that will help you with disposal of gray water and specifically liquid waste. So again, from my listener's perspective, I wanna challenge the notion that tiny houses off-grid are illegal without a septic system. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to sort of challenge my challenge.
2: Okay. <laughs>
3: well, and, and uh, Michelle, when you say gray, gray water waste, um, I, I don't disagree. We actually have campgrounds here that you can dump your gray water, your sink water, right into this little French drain, so to say, uh, waste setup. But uh, uh, some places, and I say some, do not count... the the toilet waste, the the urine, as gray water waste. So that being said, even if you did build, say, uh, a French drain, you know, uh, a runoff type system, you're still building, in sense, a septic system.
1: Um,
3: It might not be a full concrete vault or anything else. But, again, if you're in that setting where most places require permits and everything else, so even if you go to dig in the ground for your Graywater system. If you do it correctly, um, you're still gonna have to pull a permit on your property for that. Um, so you might it might not be inspected, and I say this because I built a 300 square foot one outside the city limits here, and I still went and paid 28 dollars for a permit. They don't inspect anything under 300 square feet, but um, they do. They do. Uh, they do uh, still want you to go buy a permit and whatnot. So. Um, and that French drain, septic system, whatever you want to call it, is still in my in my mind a septic system setup. Um, so, yes, I see your side, and there's yeah, I, it's a tough thing to explain.
2: Yeah.
3: So, so Michelle, then uh, let me ask you: What do you do with? With your waste, you're set up composting, correct?
0: Correct, correct.
2: So what What do you do with your waste? She eats it. <laughs> <laughs> she feeds it to her daughter. <laughs> because she calls all the freaking time. She does. <laughs> but there's with sandwiches,
1: though. Yes. Exactly.
0: Vegemites.
1: <laughs> they taste and look the same.
0: <laughs> okay, so I have a composting toilet. Um, it's also a separating toilet. Um, Uh and actually so what I do for the urine is I actually have a very very large um, barrel and um, when you, when I, uh, from, according to the research that I have done, so I have to put that little caveat out there, <laughs> according to the research that I have done, once your urine is actually diluted on a 10 to 1 basis, huh. that you can actually use it as fertilizer. Huh. And it actually becomes sort of safe, quote unquote, to return to the groundwater. Huh. So I actually have a very large barrel. Um, I fill that up with 20 gallons of water. And then I pour my single gallon of urine into the 20 gallons, and then I have a leak valve on the bottom that allows it to then leak back into the groundwater. Check you out. Um,
1: um, whilst you go up and ground. <laughs> <laughs> <Just like that>. <laughs> <laughs> on the side of the road with the spurt yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, my situation is I'm actually uh, only using mine temporarily, and it's currently parked on a tree farm. So um, uh-huh. Now, for the solid waste, however, what I've been doing... Um, actually, I got to say, I haven't had to um, dispose of my solid waste yet because, again, I'm only... You don't lived poop that in, much? And, yeah, <laughs> I poop at work.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the more I or here in the office, um, that way I don't have to empty it as often. So. Um, honestly, to be perfectly honest, I will probably, I don't know. Um, I haven't gotten to that. I haven't crossed that bridge yet. Yeah,
3: well, and I asked I like to know, obviously I don't use a composting toilet, so I ask these questions, you know. I ask Macy Miller what uh, what she does. She's tied into city system. So, um, you know, but these are the things that, it kind of gets frustrating sometimes because you hear all these blogs on, on the web about, oh, I'm off the grid, I'm off the grid, I do this, but it's a subject that people don't go into detail because a lot of times they might have a composting toilet but their urine is still hooked up to a city system, so yeah. they're not off the grid. Yeah. Um, and that, they, but they, they just leave that part out. You know what I mean? Right. Um, because that, that's not what people want to hear. So they just tell them the part they want to hear. Right. And then I, as a builder, I get the phone call. Well, this person's doing it. Right. No, they're not. Go <laughs> research it a little bit more. They're not. They're on. They're tied in. So, you know, it, it's just the parts that either they didn't finish reading stuff completely or it wasn't told, the full story wasn't told. So um, that's the part as a builder that gets really frustrating is because there's so many falsities running around out there on the on the web that people read or, or hear about so they think it's all good. Um, so, you know, as a builder-wise, that's the toughest part. And
0: that's why I always ask
3: right. Um is because I like to know what other people are doing. Right.
0: Well, and I gotta say, I'm not completely clueless about what I'm gonna do. Let me let me rephrase that. Um, the problem. So probably what I'll end up doing is actually using a raised barrel composting system. Yeah. Um, they're pretty well they're pretty well known. It's a big black barrel yeah. that's on a rotating um, axis. Basically, you put what? your compost in there. It actually cooks the compost mm-hmm. down and it breaks down all the um, per the humanure handbook. Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't done that yet, and the reason why is because my personal situation is the fact that I have to converse with my host, and we have to come up with an agreement that that's what I'm going to be doing. So first and foremost, I'm way less concerned about the health department, whether or not they're going to find me in the middle of the frickin' woods, than I am about my host, which is my neighbor who owns the property that I rent. Yeah. So I have to make an agreement with them on so they know what I'm doing with my urine they're perfectly okay with it. They know what I'm doing with my shower water and my sink water and my you know they're perfectly okay with that. We have kind of a gray water system going on. But um we haven't actually had the conversation about the solid waste and my intention to compost yeah. it and how I'm going to compost it. So again, it's not like I'm clueless. I just have several options I have not yet exercised. Yeah. And
3: and you know I'll throw a, a little scenario out there just because us in Idaho, we have mountains, okay? <laughs> so, so some states don't. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I have a, a, a plot of land up in the mountains here, and I got people above me on the hillside. Um, my well happens to be up on the higher part of my property. So say my neighbor up higher than my well yeah. is pouring his... Or her compost, not so to say compost, because I'm not concerned about the compost, I'm concerned about the liquids, uh, is pouring that right on top of where my, my well is pretty much. Yeah. Um, sure, it's not going to hit my well the first week or something, but it will start to saturate saturate into the ground by my well. Not saying it's not bad, uh, you know, but it, it will start affecting that well. So... Those are the scenarios why I say health department is getting upset. Yes, you might be out in the boonies, but um, you know it, it it does affect that groundwater system if not done correctly. Which unfortunately most people are not doing it correctly. Yeah, uh, Michelle, you've done a lot of research. You know the way you're doing it right now with the diluting and everything else. If I ask probably ten tiny house people about how they dilute that. I guarantee probably not even 20% of them would give me that kind of answer. <laughs> so I guess my back to that is most people aren't doing that research. They're just out there pouring it on the ground. Right.
2: Ew.
3: So yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, that's it's, so gross.
3: <laughs> it's, it's up to everybody to help push that in the right direction. Going back to me saying we need to inform people. Um, so even me helping the do it is helping is helping push that movement forward. Got it. Yeah. It has okay. to do
1: Business It has to be trying to teach people the correct way. Yeah. Absolutely. I had a quick question about the recycling of the water itself. Is there usually a design where you know the water comes from the shower and that goes into the toilet? It Gets reused in the toilets when you go to flush it, or how does that whole system work? Or is it just all wastewater? Yeah.
3: Everyone's a little bit different. I got one now that uh, is catching the rainwater from the roof, yep. putting it into a holding tank, and I have a pump just for that holding tank that is going to be feeding the toilet water.
1: Okay.
3: So, and I, we've been in talks about a UV system for drinking water also. So, I'm working on that. But, um, you know, as of right now, the rainwater is just getting used for for the toilet water um, and and for the living wall.
1: Uh, garden you know so uh, the water's not used twice like for, okay totally t- tmi but you know when i'm having a shower i shower over a bucket and then i use that bucket to refill the toilet when i go to flush it so uh-huh. i don't even know if that's you know gray water or whatever regulations in america but is that something that usually happens in tiny houses because you know conservation of water reusing it recycling it
3: reperses- it. It's not something that get,
1: gets used a lot because
3: to, in order to do that, it costs money, more money. Because um, obviously you need a gray water holding tank, which then another pump just to feed into just your black water system.
1: Okay, so all right.
3: It, it's completely doable, but a lot of people don't like investing the extra money to, to do that when you can just use your fresh water for everything. Because how often do you really use your toilet
2: Yeah. Um,
3: is, is what a lot of people say. Um, is it getting used? Yeah, I, I electrician by trade is what I, I used to do I, I still hold licenses but uh, we worked on lead certified gold buildings that used uh, the sink water for toilet water okay. but there was yeah. a big big catchment in the basement and another pump that that did that throughout the entire bank building so
0: so I'm um, speaking of research I um, one of the things actually one of the tips I uh, ventured across to help your Uh, liquid waste smell better um, is I actually add grape soda Um, it actually helps it smell better so if the disposal process isn't quite enough the smell probably might be uh, might be uh, cause people to take hesitation and so grape soda helps with that Um, but have you ever heard Lena Menard's uh, Lena Menard's theory that it takes less than 10 minutes for every tiny house conversation to either veer towards sex or poop. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you very much for keeping the myth alive.
2: Well, it took us like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for you.
3: Unfortunately, that's one of the biggest topics ever in tiny house. I mean, yeah. I get it. It's, yeah. important. Almost every, it's important.
2: Every tiny house we build, that's what it gets to. Yeah. Right. So, so, um, Jesse, how do you – that house that where you put this are putting the sauna in – what do you do about moisture control in there? Well, that's the tough part. I mean, yes, we obviously
3: fan. put in fans <laughs> and and exhaust fans and things to try to help there. But uh, it's still up to the customer to make sure, you know, they they get that out the correct way. It, um, it, it's, it's tough. No matter what you do, I mean, you take a small room, not just a tiny house. Take a small room in a regular foundation house uh, and put... Just say, for example, when you take a shower, yeah. It mirrors, everything else in your bathroom, it gets covered with moisture. So, then make it even in a smaller room, and then you have a bigger problem. So, that's always been a problem, and it always will be a problem in an
2: RV or a tiny house RV, so to say. Why would it seems like having a sauna in a tiny house is antithetical to the tiny house movement?
3: Well, the people I'm building this for happened to uh, they, they're traveling. Uh, masseuse, uh, uh. physical therapy people. So, uh, you know, I build what the customer wants.
0: <laughs> Someone else has a sauna in their tiny house. Antithetical. What, Where'd you come up with that one? Uh, out of my
2: ass. That's,
0: <laughs> you must have a 365 one word per day calendar or something. No. That is so cool.
2: <laughs> so, okay. This is interesting. So, um, Getting back to the fun stuff, we don't have much time left, but I wanted to talk about, I had asked Michelle, and she didn't know the answer to this question. On that tiny house with the bump outs, how do you, um, where do you get the power from to drive those, uh, is that what they're called, bump outs? Pump outs? What are they called?
0: Yeah, bump outs. Bump outs, yeah. Yeah.
2: Where do you get the power to drive those bump outs? Well, we started just this year really
3: pushing the 12-volt systems in, in our tiny house RVs. You know, we, uh, I install 30 or 50-amp uh, converters in every one of my units. Uh, along with the single battery out the door, the customer can add more down the road. But uh, so, my bump out systems are a 12 volt system, so they'll just run off my converter battery system.
0: Oh, cool. Huh. I didn't know if you had a crank and you have to get outside the house and you got to <laughs> oh, crank that oh, oh. sucker.
3: I'm pretty lazy, so I like to just push a button. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So what's your uh what's your favorite part of the tiny house movement in general? Like what is it? What's your favorite part?
3: Well, design by far. uh, There's so many different design factors and things that people come up with um, that it's just it's amazing every day the things that get brought to me and people want me to build. Um, You know that's it's definitely the best part. I mean, well,
2: it's one of the good parts of it. So very it's cool. Very, very cool. So um I can't wait to come out to Idaho and take a look at your your uh I was gonna say units, but that's a little <laughs> too close to what I was my dirty mind. Look us nice. take a look at what you build out there, Jesse. Thank you so much for being with us today on Tiny House Podcast. We really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, and you know uh Michelle knows, but we're gonna be at the Jamboree this year. I got a new I'm gonna kinda unrip uh Reveal a nice brand new unit that uh, I'm not going to show pictures until then. So I'm excited about that. You know we've been growing rapidly here. I got ha ah, shoot, I think eight nine full time employees on payroll. So it, it's right now. I currently we're working on six units all at the same time. Um, nice, wow. In the shop here, so it, it's it's a good thing. The movement's pushing forward locally here in Idaho, it's, it's looking very positive. Um, we got a gal here in the county that I'm in that's really pushing for tiny houses to, to live in them permanently on your own property to be legal. Who's um, that? Uh, I, I got her name written down here. Uh, she's going to be the one speaking at the next meetup group. Okay. But, uh, you know, it's it's also one of those that at the meetup I, since got her invited and she's coming down, I made sure everybody goes with reasonable questions and doesn't instantly start bashing on her because this gal is definitely for the movement. So, um, you know, it's, if I can say anything, keep, keep positive, you know, keep, people need to always stay positive on that fact. When they talk to people, don't be afraid to go to your building officials because these people, most of them are here to help They're, you know, um, it, it, it it definitely, you know, it's, it's coming around. And uh, it looks like on the West Coast here it's a lot more easier to, to work with them than it is on the East Coast from what I, I found out. But uh, um, it's
2: definitely a, a positive movement forward we're taking. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again, Jesse. And uh, listeners, please tune in next week for another episode of Tiny House Podcast. And don't forget to, to check out tinyhousepodcast.com for the show notes and some great pictures. And that's a cue for you, Jesse, to make sure you send us some pictures of your units. Okay. And your baby. <laughs> and your, your house. And your baby and your houses. All that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks, Jesse.
1: Thank you, guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcasts. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Or whatever. You tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.